Fire in the Mountains, Chapter 11. <clears throat> I know it's been a minute, but I am on a business trip and have not been able to get a moment's of privacy, let alone the space and time to record. So, I'm doing little bits at a time as I can. I hope you enjoy nonetheless. In the thick of winter, the castle got quiet. The snow piled up outside all the doors. It built up on the windows and turned to ice. News traveled slowly when the snows were as thick and there were no more reports of fires or lost towns for weeks. There were no missives from Inji. In spite of the snow and quiet, slow pace of his own days, Shoto found himself overwhelmed by people sometimes. <coughs> they all lived in close proximity, especially since just before the last storm had hit. Kotsky had evacuated all the nearby villages into the palace grounds. Shoto found out that the castle was built into a system of caves in the mountains. All the parts of the castle that Shoto knew best were the pieces visible from the outside, the palace where Kotsky's family and servants lived. But he opened the doors to his home, and Shoto found that there was a maze of rooms and corridors and dwellings spidering away into the heart of the mountain, all spelled and reinforced with powerful magic. Kotsky hadn't built a palace. He'd built a very small city like a glacier. He told the townspeople the reason for evacuation was foul weather, but in private, he told Shoto he planned to keep them here until the threat was dealt with. The townspeople mostly stayed out of Kotsky's living spaces, with the exception of the people from Kotsky's village, who were treated much the same as Shoto and the rest of the royal family. But the whole palace felt, still felt more crowded. Representatives from each village and messengers were always moving around the halls. <coughs> and now that Kotsky was nearby, instead of an hour's long ride, he was called on constantly to handle petty disputes among his people. Apparently the title chief carried a few responsibilities Shoto hadn't understood, one of which was acting as judge in even the most minor disagreements of his people in order to put them to proper rest. Sometimes Koski seemed to love it. Sometimes Shoto could tell it infuriated him. He still saw to every request that was brought before him. Once, when Shoto was watching him train with Izuku, Ochako, and Sue all at once, Koski received a request to decide a case of a man stealing fruit from his neighbor's favorite potted pomegranate tree, and Shoto thought he might set the messenger on fire. Instead, he ground his teeth, set his jaw, and stalked out without much more than a glare. Izuku watched him go with raised eyebrows and mouth open a little. He caught Shoto looking and Shoto looked away quickly enough to give himself away. 
Izuku had been training without a shirt, and Shoto found it very distracting. But he also couldn't really bear to talk to Izuku anymore either. Every time he looked at him, his stomach swooped, and his cheeks got fearfully hot with awful shame and embarrassment. Izuku left him alone, mostly. He spent a lot of time with his wife, and Shoto liked her. They also spent a lot of time with Ida. Shoto was surprised to find Ida on the training grounds, mostly almost immediately after he returned from the east. But Izuku's villagers liked him, and he liked them. And for that, Shoto was glad. If he had to upend Ida's life like he had, Shoto wanted him to have friends. The weeks passed quietly enough, so that Shoto started to feel relaxed. It was a very strange feeling to have nothing to do, and have nothing expected of him. His time was truly his own, and he started doing silly, useless things like sleeping until midday, or skipping training sessions in favor of just watching, or lounging in the baths with Kiri and Mina and Denki for hours while they each told him about their homes. There was comfort in knowing that wherever they were, Tomura, Dabi, and Kurogiri were most likely snowed in for the winter, just as Shoto and Katsuki were. Shoto had always been good at ignoring things that terrified him. Without the looming threat, he managed, for a while, to push it from his mind. And then winter solstice was upon them. Where Shoto came from, the solstice celebration was always a bit of a somber affair. It was a time to bid farewell to the dying year, and to, pay, to pray for a prosperous new one. But Shoto was coming to be convinced the barbarians didn't know the meaning of the word somber. A week before the solstice, it was all anyone in the castle could talk about. Shoto came down to the training pitch one morning to find Izuku leading most of his village through some kind of dance practice, and Shoto wanted to watch, but they all pointed at him when he showed up, and he realized he was the only person there who wasn't involved in the dance. He was made to leave. Why was your entire village dancing? Shoto asked Kotsky, leaning in the open door of Kotsky's office. Kotsky looked up from the maps he was staring over and said, Oh, were they? I guess they're going to dance for us. What kind of dance? Many outland villages have dance traditions, Kotsky explained, sitting back down in his chair and watching Shoto. This one would be sort of a sacrifice. You could think of it that way. We dance to win the gods' favor, and ask for a blessing for the coming year. You dance? Shoto pressed with a smirk. Kotsky snorted. <laughs> no. I always prefer to fight. Accomplishes the same thing. Of course, now I have a lot of people who just fight for me. So there will be fighting too? Oh, of course. Thought you knew... We know how to celebrate out here. Not like you, Flatlanders. 
Trotsky said like Shoto was stupid. That's blasphemous for where I come from, Shoto said, peering absently at Kotsky's maps. There were little marks along the border, and a chill ran down his spine when he realized those were places that had been destroyed by fires and necromancy. You don't fight on holy days. Look, princess, Kotsky said, leaning forward and spreading out his hands. Shit shitty out here. We gotta fight just to live. We farm in rocky soil, and we hunt smart, canny fucking animals, and know how to hide. And fighting on holy days is, it's symbolic. Like telling the gods, you know, look how fucking strong we are. We fight for your glory. It's the most important thing we have to give, see? Yes, I'm beginning to. Shoto told him. How do you celebrate the solstice? Kotsky asked a little quietly, which surprised Shoto a little. Kotsky hadn't really asked him about his traditions before. Shoto peered thoughtfully down at Kotsky's maps. Ah, uh, there's a feast, Shoto said. He was fairly certain they could agree on that. With winter foods. Kotsky was watching him very closely, and added unthinkingly, I'm very partial to stuffed sweet potatoes. Kotsky furrowed his brow. What do you stuff sweet potatoes with? Uh, nuts, sugar, winter spices, Shoto said, waving his hand. It's almost more of a dessert than a supper dish. Kotsky frowned at him. What else? What other foods? Koski shrugged in assent and Shoto went on. Oh, uh, spiced beef, uh, sugared ham, honeyed nuts. Sweet shit, Koski said with a smirk. Shoto nodded. We eat more fruits than you do, I think, throughout the year. So by solstice, we have nothing but apples and dried plums and grapes left, so everything is sweetened with sugar and honey instead. What else? Uh, music? Uh, more food? It's mostly about the food. And the high nobility will also give the royal family gifts. Shoto shrugged at that. I have no idea how that particular tradition started, but each major house will give us something. Mainly my father, but I was gifted a very fine horse from the Ida family three years ago. Your horse? Kotsky pressed. Shoto nodded. Tinya's family raises the fastest horses in all the flatlands. Hmm. That doesn't sound so different, Kotsky told him. He leaned forward in his chair, spread his legs, and put his elbows on his knees. We eat, and drink, and hear music too. There's just fighting and dancing to go along, and no gifts for you to worry about, he added with a pointed smirk. Shoto found that relieved him, actually, since he had no idea what he'd gift or to whom. Not to mention, he wasn't sure he actually had money to buy gifts with. 
Nina actually have to ask Kotsky for it, which felt a little strange. It turned out, however, that Kotsky was lying. Solstice morning, Shoto woke up to a knock on his door. When he opened it, he found the entire royal family staring at him, and they were all holding little packages. Uh Dinky shoved past him, peering around the room a little curiously. Shoto hadn't done much decorating, or any, so he wasn't really sure what Dinky was looking at, but something about it must have interested him. His eyes paused briefly on the lamp that Shoto kept near his bed, and when he looked back at Shoto, he was grinning. He dropped into a chair, and the other three followed him while Shoto stood at the door. What? Presents! Mina said cheerfully, of course! Shoto looked at Kotsky immediately, heart falling. Kotsky. You said you didn't exchange gifts on the solstice. I said you didn't have to worry about it, princess. Kotsky said with an arrogant wave of his hand. But I... Here! Kiri erupted, shoving a leather bag into Shoto's hands. Shoto peered down at the bag, at Kotsky's sharp, enthusiastic smile, and then at Kotsky. You should probably open it, Kosky said very seriously, but with a small smirk. Shoto fell back into one of his chairs and glared at Kosky, but he still pulled the drawstring on the leather pouch. What fell out in his hand was very strange. It looked like a bracer, shaped and molded like a metal one might be. But it was vibrantly red and carved all over in the Outland style with fires and little snowflakes. It was dragon scale. Does it fit? Kirishima said anxiously. It's for your left arm. Shoto obediently fitted onto his arm. It fit quite well. He looked up at Kirishima a little hesitant, because it was perhaps the strangest bracelet he'd ever seen. It's beautiful. He tried, giving Kotsky a questioning look when he did. Kiri's grin got even wider. It's for fighting! I've been watching you fight, and you always block with your right hand. With your arm all covered in ice, you can't do that with your left, so you can use this instead. It's dragon scale, so unless you make it really, really hot, your fire shouldn't be affected by it. That's brilliant, Kirishima. Shoto said in shock. Thank you. He twisted his arm, peering down at the bracer, testing the fit. It wasn't terribly big. It covered his wrist down to the joint of his elbow, but there was enough space at either end so this did not impede his movement. It covered a relatively small area, but Kiri was right. It would be enough to block small attacks like he did with his right arm. And this is from me, Mina drawed, shoving Kiri aside and putting a vial in Shoto's hands. It's perfume, she added when Shoto stared at her for an explanation. Shoto brought the vial to his nose then, because it seemed the thing to do. It smelled like Shoto's favorite bath oil. He had no idea what it was, 
but it was warm and spicy with a hint of musk that always went straight to Shoto's head. The version Mina had made was just a little bit different than the bath oils. It lacked the sweetness Shoto was used to, but he liked the end result. Dinky tossed Shoto a little bag next, giving him a smug sort of look when he did, feet thrown up on Shoto's table. This bag contained three bracelets, much like the ones Kiri had given him, but they had glass beads instead. They were mostly white or clear, but a few seemed to sparkle a little too brightly, almost like Shoto's lamp did. These are wonderful, Shoto told him. Thank you all. Kotsky cleared his throat. When Shoto looked up at him, he smirked, and Shoto felt his stomach turn over again, felt a very strange and unfamiliar knot in his throat. Kotsky lifted his hands and held out a folded fur, white again. At the sight of it, Shoto blushed and couldn't stop it. He'd, always, he'd already been given so many white furs. Shoto was used to being dressed expensively, but no one else ever really wore white. Shoto accepted it and peered down at it and realized there was a lot more fur here than what would be needed for a coat or another vest. Shoto unfolded it carefully, feeling his fingers sinking into it. It's a quilt, Kotsky told him when he caught it a seam and started to unfold it further. Shoto lifted his head. Rabbit fur. Kotsky smirked. Shoto looked back at him, a very strange feeling percolating through his gut and chest. It was making it hard to breathe. Someone, Danky maybe, cleared his throat in silence. Shoto swallowed very hard and said, more than four? <laughs> You'll have to count. Why? Why is everything you give me white? Shoto asked when the silence was too thick and he could feel Kiri and Denki and Mina staring at him. Kotsky's smirk got more pointed, got sharper, but it wasn't. It was just Kotsky. There was no real danger in it. Only amusement. Maybe pride. Only the best for our princess. Kotsky said, tone light and teasing and only a little bit biting. Have to make you feel at home, after all. Then you shouldn't have given me anything at all, Shoto muttered, looking down at the white fur and trying to ignore the way his cheeks had gotten uncomfortably hot all of a sudden. Not at home, then, Kotsky answered a little darkly. What's going on? Mina demanded loudly when Shoto and Kotsky just kept staring at each other in near silence. Shoto's cheeks got impossibly hotter. Kotsky rolled his eyes and looked to the ceiling, muttering, It's just a blanket, Mina, fuck. I know, it's just a blanket, Mina said, nearing her eyes. So why... <clears throat> Shoto cleared his throat and set the folded quilt on the table. 
Thank you, Kotsky. Uh-huh, Kotsky said without looking at him. They didn't leave Shoto's room right away. In fact, Kotsky called for the servants to bring their breakfast there. It was an uncharacteristically light meal. Kotsky said they had to wait for tonight's feast to truly gorge themselves. They were just finishing up the food when a few more servants arrived with new clothing for Shoto. Apparently they were expected to dress very formally for the feast. Kotsky and his family took their leave, and Shoto was left with two very pushy servants who started talking about how to dress him. <coughs> it took all morning, and was easily the most effort anybody had put into Shoto's appearance since he got here. He was used to being poked and pruned and polished in the flatlands, but it was a new experience here. The most startling was when the servants washed his hair in a basin in his room and then set about styling it in some very elaborate braids. Shoto had never had his hair braided before. In the flatlands, braids were reserved for women, or, very occasionally, effeminate men who worked in places of ill repute. Dancers, whores, tavern boys, and the like. Servants didn't style Shoto's hair like that, though. Rather than the artful twists and designs he was used to seeing in courtly women, this was more barbaric. The braids were all different sizes and stuck close to his scalp, with the largest running right down the center of his part. Blending red and white strands in the smallest closest to his temples. They wove a few beads and pieces of metal in, and while most of his hair was kept free-flowing at the back, some of the smaller braids ran to the tips, after a servant girl had given him a quick trim. Shoto was surprised by how long his hair had been growing since he had gotten here, too. Inji never let him keep his hair much longer than his shoulders. Most flat men... Flatland men didn't wear long hair at all, but no one had forced Shoto into cutting his hair in months. Shoto only really complained when they tried to dress him. They wouldn't let him put on a tunic. <clears throat> I'll be cold, he drawled. <sighs> Prince, the servant woman said. Outland men aren't afraid of the cold. I'm not an outland man, Shoto said obstinately. We've been instructed to make you look like one, she declared. Tell Kotsky, if he wants to walk about in the snow half-naked, that that is his choice, but he shan't force it on me. <sighs> Here, she said furiously, shoving new breeches into Shoto's hands. They were thicker than Shoto was used to. Most of his breeches were either just leather or leather lined with wool. These were leather lined with fur down the legs and reinforced with extra paneling throughout the backside and waist. 
You'll be plenty warm, my lord, she drawled. They were easily the most tailored pants Shoto had been given. They were carefully stitched, thick where they could be, and flexible where they should be. Shoto pulled them on and found that they were both incredibly warm and much more comfortable than he expected. They didn't feel tight and thick, even though they were in places. She gave him new boots, too, also lined with fur. The vest she gave him was a different cut than Shoto was used to. It was held close in the front with three red toggles, more of Kiri's dragon scale, and had a very thick white collar. A cloak, the only one Shoto had been given, fastened under the collar. It was vibrantly red, double-layered wool with brilliant blue and white stitching. For the first time in months, Shoto actually felt like he was dressed like royalty, even if these clothes were far more comfortable than his Flatlander clothes had been. The servant gave him Mina's perfume to wear and then dotted the skin under his right eye with blue paint and a little gradient with the largest circle at the inner corner of his eyes. Shoto felt that he had tolerated all this fairly well, although he'd certainly never worn face paints before. He was about to stand and make his escape when a servant frowned at him and then looked at her co-conspirator and said, "'Where's his armor?' "'Armor?' Shoto parroted back. "'I don't have any armor.' And then as a second thought, he added, well, aside from the bracer Kiri gave me. Oh, best put that on then, the servant said, still talking to the other servant and not to Shoto. The second servant nodded and retrieved the bracer, while the first finally looked at Shoto and said, And you've got jewelry, yeah? Shoto sighed and motioned to the box where he kept all the strings of beads he'd been given. The servant peered into the box and then made Shoto put on the necklace, one of Kiri's bracelets, and two of the new ones from Denki. <sighs> Shall I wear Mina's potion belt as well? Shoto drawled, finally annoyed. He felt very decorated all of a sudden and the servants had made sure not a single strand of hair hung down in front of his left eye, which Shoto always found rather unnerving. He'd had his scar since he was a small boy, and he found the nobles at court whispered and stared far less when he hid behind his hair. Oh, yes, the servant said brightly. Since you've no proper weapons, that'll do. Shoto sighed. It was well past midday by the time they left him alone. Shoto spent the next two hours trying not to look at himself in the mirror. He was disconcerted by how outland he looked and putting his ice magic to work. He couldn't create a gift of any real value, but at least he could do was conjure up some trinkets. For Kiri, a roaring dragon. For Denki, a man with his hand stretched towards the sky to meet a bolt of lightning.
For Mina, a woman with a potion bottle in hand. For Kotsky, a crown. Shoto was pleased with them all, and even surprised himself at the level of detail he was able to achieve. He'd never set his sculpting skill to more than flowers, but when he tested his hand on the dragon figurine, he found it to be simpler than he expected. He wrapped them in cloth and slid them into a bag when the servant retrieved him and brought him to Kotsky again. They opened the door for him, and when he stepped inside, he found the whole room abuzz. Servants tended to everyone, putting the finishing touches on hair and face paint. They had braided Kiri's hair in similar fashion to Shoto's, and had drawn red scales with white outlines across the bottom half of his face. Mina's short curls were slicked back, and she had pink circles under both eyes, like Shoto's right and pink lines down her chin. Dinky had one side of his head braided and the other artfully tussled and pinned from his face and little yellow and black lines drawn horizontally under each eye. Koski was surrounded by servants, so Shoto went to Dinky first. Dinky turned his head while a servant was buckling the black cloak into place and his eyes got very wide. And then he said, with a very strange smile and an odd tone to his voice, Hello, Prince Shoto. Shoto narrowed his eyes at him. Hello, Dinky. And because his cheeks felt too hot, and the bag in his hand felt ridiculous, he said abruptly, Uh, here. And he shoved the wrapped figure into Dinky's hands. Dinky smiled at him. What's this? Um, it's just a trinket, Shoto muttered. This had been a very stupid idea. The damn things would melt in a few hours. Dinky unwrapped it eagerly, like a child being given a sweet meat, and then his eyes went big. Ooh, what's that? Mina asked, appearing behind Shoto. Shoto made me a little ice man, Dinky said very loudly. Look, he's grabbing lightning. Mina sucked in a breath. That is... Shoto wordlessly pressed her figurine into her hands, and then Kiri was there too. You did this with your magic? Kiri said, sounding a little awed. It was nothing, Shoto mumbled. I didn't know to prepare gifts, Kotsky told me. I told you not to worry about it, Kotsky said. Shoto turned around and felt every stray thought in his head suddenly turn towards the barbarian king. He looked more like a king now than he ever had as long as Shoto had known him. The servants had neatened his hair a bit, and they had covered his chest and arms in paint. A thick bar of red paint covered his face from temple to temple, colored in all the skin around his eyes and there were two little triangles set lower on each cheek. 
He felt Kotsky's eyes scrape from the top of his head to the tips of his toes, and he knew he looked utterly ridiculous in this barbarian formal wear. He couldn't believe he, had been, he hadn't complained when they'd braided his hair or painted his face or drenched him in jewelry. He should have put a stop to all this nonsense, but he'd wanted to be diplomatic. Kotsky's lips quirked up in that goading smile, and he said, Hail Outlander. Shoto scowled at him. Your servants are relentless. <laughs> then they follow orders very well, Kotsky told him. Shoto opened his mouth, brain buzzing rather slowly through that statement, and Kotsky said, you made them gifts after all. Look, Kotsky, Kiri interrupted. It's me. Mina grinned too and held hers up. She's got a little belt and a potion bottle. Look. Kotsky dutifully studied each figure, then turned to Shoto and said, That's a far cry from flowers. Shoto held out the last sculpture a little miserably. No doubt Kotsky thought he was terribly sentimental, and the likeness on the figures weren't even that good. With practice, Shoto thought he might have been able to do better, but then they were only ice, born to melt. Kotsky snatched the crown out of Shoto's hand and pushed aside the cloth that Shoto had wrapped it in, and he stared at it in silence for a very long time. Shoto shifted his weight a little, and then because no one was saying anything, he said, I, I just thought. Kotsky looked up at him, a sudden determined spark in his eyes, and Shoto went silent almost instantly, thinking he might have actually done something wrong. <clears throat> Kotsky tapped the nearest servant on the shoulder and then said, I'd like you to bring Ochako Uraraka here, please. She'll be with my village, preparing for the feast. But tell her I'll only need her for a minute. <coughs> the servant bowed and left, and Shoto watched him go in obvious confusion. What does... And then Shoto fell quiet again, because a servant had walked up to Kotsky and was holding out a belt for him. The battle knife Shoto had given him was hanging from it. Kotsky handed the ice crown to yet another servant while he buckled his belt on. Mina wandered away and set her figurine by a window, where the room was coldest, and Kiri and Denki bounced off after her right away, leaving Shoto to watch Kotsky adjusting the blade to hang at his side better. You should have told me there were gifts, you know, Shoto said. I didn't want you to worry about it, Kotsky said yet again. I figure you have enough to worry about. You've given me so much already, Shoto protested. When Kotsky just looked at him, Shoto's stomach squirmed. I mean to say, furs and beads from Kiri and... Wedding presents, princess. 
Trotsky said with a sharp smile. Shoto swallowed, tried to ignore the way his heart was beating so quickly for no real reason. He almost felt like he'd had too much tea with his breakfast, but he hadn't really had any today. Yes, but I didn't have anything for them, and they... Kotsky! Both of them turned to find a very annoyed Ochako staring at them with half her face painted. You can't just summon me whenever you feel like it. I think I fucking can, Kotsky said with a bark of a laugh. <laughs> You're here, aren't you? What do you want? She said, tapping her foot. I'm busy. Shoto made us all solstice gifts out of ice, Kotsky said. Shoto looked at him sharply, a strange sense of betrayal flooding his chest. He hadn't meant for anyone else to see his silly little sentiments. Kotsky handed her the crown, still wrapped in cloth. Can you spell them so they won't melt? Ochako turned the crown over in her hands and said, Prince Shoto, this is beautiful. You made these? Shoto swallowed hard. Uh, yes, it wasn't. I'm sure Izuku showed you that flower, so it was just like that. Can you do it? Kotsky interrupted. I want to keep them. He made little figurines, too. They're fucking great. Shoto felt himself shrink a little. Embarrassment and... And pride, of all things, mingling in his chest. He almost thought Kotsky was teasing him, but he seemed so... Sincere, all of a sudden. Hmm... Ochako mused, turning the crown over in her hand. I think... I think I can do that. I have two ideas in mind, though. I can transmute them into glass, or I can put a temporal spell around them so that they can just stay frozen forever. Their transmutation would be easier than the time magic, if you don't mind that they won't be ice anymore. Koski looked at Shoto. Shoto opened his mouth and realized that Mina, Kiri, and Denki were behind him, the latter two still holding their figurines. Glass is fine, he stammered, but I can, I think I can do better if you just... Perfect, Kotsky interrupted. Thank you, Ochako. He jerked his chin, and Kiri and Denki both thrust their figurines at her while Mina ran off to get hers. She admired each in turn, a little smile on her face. Denki, do you have a piece of glass I can use for the template? Yes, Denki said cheerfully. What do you need? It doesn't have to be big, but the better quality, the finer the end result. I'd hate to ruin Shoto's work with cloudy glass. Denki ran off to the workshop where he toyed with his glass and lightning creations and came back a few minutes later with a broken piece of crystal. Ochako said it would do nicely and carefully arranged all four sculptures on a table. Uh, um, uh, let me, 
Shoto interrupted a little shyly. The room was very warm, and some of the detail in the figures had already worn away under a thin layer of water. Shoto touched them up, and Ochako cast her spell. <sighs> there, she said cheerfully, wiping a little sheen of sweat from her brow. After that, Shoto needed a drink. He was glad Kotsky had a whole stock of Outland spirits in the room that everyone had been sipping on all morning while they got ready for their feast. Shoto poured his own glass while Mina, Kiri, and Denki took their figures back to their own space, and Kotsky picked up the crown. Shoto took a very big swallow of liquor, and then he said, I didn't know what to make an Outland crown look like. Kotsky grinned at him suddenly and grabbed a box from a nearby table. Shoto watched him a little suspiciously as he held out the box to Shoto and lifted the lid. Well, yours looks like this. Shoto started. He didn't even, he hadn't even have thought. Outland people actually wore crowns? When he peered past Kotsky, he saw the table held four other wooden boxes. I. It was silver, more of a circlet than a crown, made of two thin bars crossing each other in gentle curved loops. There were little black stones set at each point where the bars met. Kotsky said, I thought we dressed you in enough white and red and smirked a little when he tilted the circlet so Shoto could better see the glassy black stones. It's... Shoto had a circlet he'd worn to stately functions as a child. It had been a simple gold band with no real ornamentation, the sort of thing only a third son would wear. Kotsky wordlessly lifted it out of the box, and Shoto was suddenly so overwhelmed he thought he might need to sit down. Promise me there will be no more gifts after this, he muttered. Kotsky stepped forward, hands raised, and when he chuckled, Shoto could feel Kotsky's breath on his cheek. I wouldn't call this a gift, princess. It's like clothes. You're fucking heathen royalty, aren't you? Kotsky set the crown on Shoto's head and tilted it into place. He smelled like bath oils, like, like the perfume Mina had given Shoto, only sweeter. Like Shoto's favorite bath oil, and Shoto felt a sudden embarrassed rush when he realized he'd probably been using Kotsky's personal store of bath things and hadn't realized it. He just thought those were for all of them, but now that he really thought about it, all three of Kotsky's spouses used different bottles when they bathed. And now you look the part, Kotsky said when Shoto didn't reply. He brushed his hands off and stepped back, and Shoto couldn't stand the way Kotsky was looking at him, mainly because he had no idea what it meant. Promise. Ah, fine, Kosky said with a snicker. <laughs> no one else will give you shit, all right? 
Shoto nodded, utterly relieved. Ungrateful, spoiled, fucking brat, Kotsky said sharply. When Shoto looked at him, he was grinning. Like giving you shit's a bad thing. Would have thought you weren't used to having nice shit. Shoto took another swig of his drink, and then he said, I had nice things, but not many thoughtful ones. And when Kotsky frowned at him, Shoto went on. I had a room full of nice things, and all the gold to buy more if I wanted, but... You look good, princess. I feel a bit ridiculous, Shoto admitted. Why? Kotsky said a little sharply. Shoto only had to think about it for a moment to truly pinpoint why all of this made him so uncomfortable. Your servants accented my scar. His hair had been pulled back. They had practically drawn an arrow right under his eye, pointing towards his left. Kotsky frowned at him a little more. I thought I told you. We like scars here. He lowered his voice and gave Shoto a very mischievous little smirk when he said, We think they're sexy. Shoto's face got hot and he said hastily, Maybe with you and your battle scars, this isn't a battle wound, Kotsky. My mother did this. Kotsky's furrows his brow at that. She, what, what exactly happened? Shoto glanced at his toes and then back up again. The, the left side of my body shares my father's coloring. And Toya's, the best I can figure, she, she was confused. Mistook me for one of them, maybe. Or she'd simply hated the sight of Angie so much she'd been determined to raise him from Shoto's face. She almost blinded me, he added. Water from her tea kettle. Koski said nothing after that. You see why I don't like being reminded of it, Shoto added. I didn't win a fight. I was just a boy. Kotsky chewed his lip, and when he spoke, he sounded almost sheepish. I don't see a difference, he muttered. How can you not? Shoda replied, voice a little sharper than he meant it to be. I just mean... Not all battles happen on the fighting pitch, all right? He crossed his arms over his chest, looking up at the ceiling. You lived, didn't you? I wasn't exactly. Toya didn't. Shoto was so shocked, he actually gaped at Kotsky. Kotsky's voice was almost petulant when he added, There are lots of different ways of being strong. And lots of different ways a man survives. She didn't mean to hurt me, 
Shoto muttered, and he wasn't quite sure why. But she did. And then he added, Stop hiding, princess. And that was easy for Kotsky to say. Shoto had met his parents, and they were certainly nothing like the Todorokis. Dinki interrupted them when he came to retrieve his crown, and the other two were there as well, chattering to each other, adjusting the circlets on her head. They were all a little different. Mina's was a simple golden ring with three big irregular pieces of cloudy pink and white quartz set at the front, and two pieces of ivory horn on either side positioned just over her ears. Dinky's wasn't actually a circlet, but rather an open loop of black metal that fit around the back of his head, with two accents at the temples that came down in front of his ears. They were shaped like lightning bolts, which was, of course, the traditional symbol of Dinky's people. Kiri wore a thick black band with a triangular piece of scale at the center of it, pointed up. Kotsky wordlessly put the glass crown on his head, and Kiri said cheerfully, Oh, it fits! Shoto hissed, Kotsky, and had no idea what to say when Kotsky looked at him. It was just, he hadn't intended it to be worn, even if it did look rather striking against his blonde hair. It's, it's just decorative. <clears throat> it's gonna decorate my fucking head, princess. And that was that. Nothing Shoto said could convince Koski to take the crown off and leave it behind, except when Shoto suggested it might get broken. Then Koski thought for a second and said, You know Chaco can fix it. And then kept on walking. The feast was easily the most massive celebration Shoto had seen the Outland people put on. They ate outside in the snow, with massive fires burning all around them, lighting the area. The royal family sat at the front of the square on a raised platform, with Kotsky's generals and advisors directly facing them, and Izuku's village just behind them. The rest of the celebration was filled with various chiefs, ambassadors, and other important people from all the villages passing the winter in the mountain. There was a rather raucous prayer first, featuring a lot of cheering and yelling from the barbarians and joyous bellowing from the priests. After that, Kotsky gave a loud and expellative-filled speech about how they had prospered this year and how they would in the next, and the gods could send whatever hardship they pleased, but the outland people would still persevere. Only then were they all allowed to eat. Shoto was overwhelmed. He was growing accustomed to outland food, but there were meat pies he'd never seen before and root vegetables prepared in about ten different ways, and desserts Shoto couldn't even begin to guess at. Early on in the meal, 
A servant brought Shoto a platter with stuffed sweet potatoes and dropped one on his plate with a smile. When he peered around Danky, he found Kotsky grinning at him and lifting his glass in a little toast. They weren't exactly as Shoto remembered them. Different nuts grew in the mountains, and Shoto tasted anise in the addition to the cinnamon and nutmeg. But they were still good. Shoto ate two, even though they were enormous. It was a taste of home. But wrapped in outland custom, and Shoto was beginning to think maybe the mountain people did things better than anyone else. They certainly did alcohol better. Shoto had three tankards of that spicy liquor mixed with milk and honey before he remembered there was more than just a feast to contend with. By the time he was quite certain he'd never been quite so full, and Denki was entertaining both of them, by making sparks dance between his knife and fork. Kiri was half lounging in Kotsky's lap, and Mina was trying to hit him in the face with pieces of cheese. Or perhaps he was trying to catch them with his mouth? Shoto wasn't sure. Kotsky caught Shoto looking at them and grinned again, all sharp and pointed, and Shoto wasn't sure if his cheeks felt hot because of the alcohol or... It must have been the alcohol. That was probably why the firelit square was feeling so soft at the edges, and why Shoto could feel himself sinking into his chair a little. Dinky grinned at him too, and Shoto felt it in his chest. Dinky had been looking at him strangely all night, and it was making Shoto's heart beat a little too fast. Dinky had never paid him much attention short of being an overtly friendly sort. Shoto had the distinct feeling that he'd never seen Dinky really see him before. Enough mountain milk for you, Flatlander, he proclaimed mild moving Shoto's empty tankard aside. You're all red. That's because you're looking at me, Shoto complained. Denki lifted his pretty blonde eyebrows. He had very delicate features, wide eyes, a petite nose, the kind of mouth that was always smiling. He gave Shoto a slightly pointed look and then set a cup of water in front of him. Well, he wasn't wrong there. Shoto drained it and poked feebly at the remains of his second sweet potato. Dinky said finally, Am I making you blush, Prince Shoto? Shoto narrowed his eyes. It's just warm here, he complained. Outside in the snow? Yes. Nothing to do with me looking at you. I just... Shoto was cut off very abruptly when there was a sudden flurry of movement. The tables were being cleared off and moved to the edges of the square, leaving a massive open space right in the center of the field. It was time for Izuku's village dance, and Shoto leaned forward in his chair in interest, Denki momentarily forgotten. Hisashi sang, 
Kayoka sang too, and played some kind of stringed instrument, along with a few other villagers on hand drums. Almost the whole rest of the village was involved in the dance. Shoto had never seen anything like it. For one, they danced barefoot on the ice that had been stamped into the snow during dinner. The men had their chests spared, and the women only wore thin bands across their hips and breasts. There was a lot of stomping and clapping and shouting mixed into the dance, along with sharp, strong movements that were as graceful as they were intimidating. And while the whole village began the dance, as it went on, different groups broke out and demonstrated various levels of skill. The men and women did some kind of call and response. A small group of women, including Momo, Ochako, and Sue, stunned Shoto with their sheer athleticism and flexibility. Izuku had a section of the dance all to himself. Shoto assumed it was because he was the village chief, but then it might have also been because he was easily the best dancer Shoto had ever seen. It didn't really make sense. A man that large through the shoulder shouldn't have been able to move so elegantly, especially when there was so much violence in the dance moves. Half the time, the dancers looked like they were about to start fighting. Izuku did something, where he rolled his whole body and Shoto heard Danky huff an amused little laugh. Only, when, only then did Shoto realize he was the one who had sucked in a breath, sharp and loud and glaringly obvious. Shoto turned his head a little sheepishly and looked at Dinky. He could see Kotsky behind him, staring at Izuku like a cat spying an insect. He was so focused it almost distracted Shoto from what Dinky was saying. You're not really the kind of man who thinks about self-preservation all that much, are you? What? Denki just lifted his brows and gave Shoto a very knowing look. It's a very skilled dance, Shoto muttered, reaching instinctively for his milk tankard. Denki nodded very deliberately and said, hmm. Yes, it is. When Shoto turned his head again, Izuku and Ochako were dancing together, and they were smiling at each other, and the cheering and yelling had taken on a distinctly levacious quality. Shoto could see why. Watching them dance together was almost as bad as listening to Kiri and Kotsky fuck that first time they had been. If their smiles didn't get a little wide every time someone cheered at them, Shoto would have almost been embarrassed to be seeing this. Kotsky sat back hard in his chair and took a very big swallow of his drink. He looked away when he caught Shoto frowning at him. Fighting came next, and this time the tournament was truly massive. 
Shoto found himself alternating between water and spirits, with no idea how they were ending up in front of him. During a more lucid moment, he looked around and found Kotsky muttering to Denki, and a moment later his spirit tanker disappeared and a cup of water was left in its place. Shoto didn't mind. He was too busy watching the fights to really care. Everyone was laughing and cheering and clapping and still eating and drinking. And Shoto didn't really recognize any of the fighters, but it didn't matter because the fighters recognized him. He seemed to represent something of a prize to them. During the last few rounds, the fighters kept looking up at the platform where Shoto was seated and pointing at him. The first time it happened, Shoto looked around at Kotsky in shock. Kotsky put his head in his hand and laughed, glass crown glinting in the firelight. Shoto was disappointed that no one in Izuku's village fought. Apparently, the dance had been demonstration of prowess enough. But then, they probably would have swept to the competition. When a winner was declared... Shoto absently assessed that she wouldn't have stood a chance against the likes of Izuku. Shoto wasn't surprised when Kotsky asked her to choose her prize challenge, and she pointed to Shoto. He wasn't sure why they'd all had their sights set on him, but it was clear that was what they all intended by the time a winner was declared. Kotsky looked at Shoto with a wide grin before he could speak. Shoto was standing. He put his hand on the table and leveled himself up, and the world tilted a bit. His hand slipped out from under him, and he stumbled hard enough that Dinky had to put a hand out to steady him. And on all the uproarish laughter that followed, Kotsky heard... Er, Shoto heard Kotsky say, Shit, princess, you gonna be able to stand up straight? Shoto flung his, coat at Ko- his cloak at Kotsky's head in response, which earned another round of cheering. He left his fur behind, too, and his circlet, and only tottered a little when he made his way to the fighting pitch. His opponent was a towering mountain of a woman who was easily one of the largest people Shoto had ever seen in his life. She was a little bit too fuzzy at the edges, and Shoto thought maybe he looked a bit out of sorts because he could hear people laughing. He twisted his head up towards Kotsky and saw him watching Shoto and hiding a grin behind his fingers. Mina, Dinky, and Kiri all seemed to share his amused expression, but there was a touch of pity in it, like they weren't sure just how badly this would go. The last person Shoto noticed before the woman charged at him was Izuku, watching him with an anxious look on his face. Shoto smiled at him and waved a little, because they hadn't talked in a very long time, and Shoto liked talking to Izuku, 
and he could hardly remember why he'd stopped. The woman dashed at him, and Shadow took a step back so he could watch her plow by him. He looked around curiously when a sharp, ooh, of surprise came up from the crowd. Shoto stepped out of her way three more times before she groaned in frustration and swung around to face him. Fast little flatlander, aren't ya? I'm not little. Shoto answered matter-of-factly, you are massive. <laughs> Goddamn right I am, Majesty, she bellowed. Grow up and fight me! Shoto crossed his arms over his chest and heard more laughter from the crowd. She glared at him. I thought the point of all this was entertainment. The warrior drew up short and stared at him. What now? Uh, don't be a dick, princess. Koski shouted suddenly from his chair. Shoto whirled to him. I'm trying not to be. Kotsky started laughing very loudly and said, <laughs> That's worse. Don't ignore me! Shoto's side stepped a very powerful punch and said, I wasn't. Stop running away! She grunted, swinging again. I thought, Shoto heard himself say obstinately, how much had he had to drink again? That short fights were boring. Fuck are you saying, Flatlander? Shoto drew up short and stared at her. I just didn't want it to be over too soon. Cocky prick. She said sharply, dashing at him hard. I was trying to be considerate, he protested. I don't need your consideration. Shoto sighed. Oh, very well. During her next charge, Shoto encased her in an enormous block of ice so huge all she could do was grumble in frustration. All the cheering started again, and Shoto had to melt the block before he was allowed to totter off the fighting pitch again, adrenaline making him feel very bold and not the slightest bit chilled. Kotsky met him with his vest and cloak and said, <laughs> You're a fun drunk. I am not drunk. You waved at Deku from the middle of a fight. He looked like I should wave at him. <laughs> Put this on. You'll freeze. Kotsky chuckled and held out Shoto's fur to him so he could shrug into it. You know, they'd rather see a fair fight than a show of pity. I ended it, didn't I? You could have ended it at the start. Although, honestly, thought she was going to smash your face in. <laughs> you can't even stand up straight. What? E yes, I am. You're swaying in a little circle, princess. 
No, that's you, Shoto told him. Koski laughed at him again. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, it's never fair when someone with magic fights someone without. Kotsky looked at Shoto in disbelief. She's got magic, Happy. She might be able to arm wrestle Deku. How did you not notice? Oh, Shoto muttered. I suppose it's good I didn't let her catch me then. You suppose? Yes. Shoto turned his head when he said it. Music had started up again, and now everyone was dancing with one another. It was loud and beautiful and disorganized, and Shoto found himself smiling and wondering a little absently if Izuku would dance with him. Kotsky was the one who asked first, however. What? You want to join them, princess? I don't know Outland dances, Shoto said, which was, of course, not what Kotsky had asked. Kotsky bit his lip, hiding another grin, and said, I'll show you. Kotsky held out his hand, and Shoto had the strangest feeling that he was standing on the edge of something very important. Only he wasn't sure if Kotsky was there to pull him back or send him toppling forward. He did know taking Kotsky's hand meant something. That it meant something to Shoto. Something about who he was and who he had been a few short months ago. Who he was not anymore. He was actually considering this? No. Not considering it. He wanted to. And the second the thought occurred to him, he realized there was no good reason he shouldn't. These people didn't judge Shoto's every impulse. They didn't search for hidden meaning in every step he took. They lived a life of... of freedom. And Kotsky was offering that to Shoto right now. I don't know how, he'd said. I'll show you. Shoto took his hand, recalled absently the first time Kotsky had ever had held his out like this, when he'd whisked Shoto away to this strange, unfamiliar place on the back of a dragon. Now he jerked Shoto forward hard enough that Shoto stumbled into him, and before Shoto could straighten up, Kotsky's hand was on his waist, like he intended to lead, and Shoto put his hand on Kotsky's shoulder almost reflexively. Oh, wait, he muttered, a shocked chuckle leaving his lips. Kotsky jerked him closer. <laughs> I lead, princess. Shoto muttered as he heard himself laugh again for some reason, and he muttered, <laughs> No, I, but, but I... And then Kotsky whisked them both into an 
and onto the icy pitch where everyone was dancing. Shoto stumbled again, hardly following the rapid, bouncing steps Kotsky was doing. He was practically being dragged along behind him, and around the third time Shoto tripped over his own feet, Kotsky snorted at him. Fuck you, I am a very good dancer where I come from, Shoto proclaimed. Oh, I'm sure you are. Kotsky replied very sarcastically, I am. <laughs> you, let me lead. You don't know the steps. I'll show you one of mine. Kotsky grinned at him, all challenge, always so full of challenge, and Shoto knocked Kotsky's hand off his hip and put his own on Kotsky's and pushed back. It was not a very successful maneuver. Kotsky had no idea how to follow, and their feet kept getting tangled up, and Shoto said, See, it's not my fault. I'm used to leading. Kotsky looked down at his feet and said, Well, it's not like, look at me. Kotsky's chin snapped up, eyes locking onto Shoto's. Don't look at your feet. Shoto instructed imperiously, just like his own dance instructors had done. Kotsky smirked at him, and after a few seconds, he actually fell into step, which surprised Shoto as much as it pleased him. You're a good dancer, Kotsky said a little mischievously. Didn't beg you for a lead, though. Shoto lifted his chin. I'm a prince, Kotsky. Princes don't follow. Not even when you're dancing with a king? My etiquette instruction didn't specify, actually. Shoto said a little evasively. I think king outranks prince. Am I still a prince? Shoto wondered out loud. Koski put his hand on Shoto's hip again. I think technically your t official title is King's Consort. He knocked Shoto's hand off his hip and forced Shoto back into an outland step again. And then he leaned in close enough that Shoto could feel Kotsky's breath on his lips. And that means I lead. Shoto couldn't really argue with that. Instead, he said a little quietly, Though you didn't dance. Kotsky's smile fell just a little bit, and then he muttered, Nah, just having it a while. Shoto almost asked why, but then he thought of what a skilled dancer Izuku was, and he thought maybe he knew why Kotsky might have avoided dance floors lately. Shoto's arms and legs felt loose and warm. His chest felt warm. 
Tchaikovsky was holding him too close for public dancing, and every time Shoto pulled away, Tchaikovsky just stepped in closer. When Shoto looked around, wondering if anybody hadn't noticed how brazen Tchaikovsky was being, he realized all the couples were standing like this, like their hips might touch any second. And when Tchaikovsky stepped forward and his hand on Shoto's hip, told Shoto he was supposed to bend and lean back a little bit, they really did press into each other. Shoto felt like fire on his skin, like staring into the sun, felt his body burn all of a sudden and his breath catch because this wasn't really, they shouldn't be, Shoto shouldn't be letting him. I had a feeling about you. Kotsky said a little shyly and a little quietly. Shoto was too distracted. They were. This dance was. And Kotsky was so warm and. Uh. Huh? Kotsky smiled just a little, and Shoto could feel the full of weight of his arrogance behind it. He'd never known a man like Kotsky before, so sure of himself, so. Since that time we fought, Kotsky told him. He slipped his arm around Shoto's back, and Shoto's heart rate spiked almost painfully. Oh, what? What about it? He said. His voice came out a little too quiet, too breathy. He couldn't take his eyes off of Kotsky's lips as and his dance, and drink-addled mind suddenly turned towards that horrible memory, the way Danky had moaned when Kotsky had... Shota looked away very sharply, but he was able to catch Kotsky blinking at him, his eyes jumping from Shoto's face to the space between them, or perhaps the lack of space. You're just as much barbarian as I am, Kotsky told him. All that ceremony and bullshit etiquette, you hate it. Yes. Man like you doesn't bow to anybody. Shoto turned his head, eyes drawn back without his permission, and he said a little slowly, No, unless he wants to. Kotsky had never looked at him like this before. Shoto felt himself swallow fingers tingling and heart pounding, and his mind one massive, frustrating blank. He couldn't analyze. He couldn't infer. He couldn't decide what Kotsky meant or what he would do next. He was just stuck there, staring at him and wondering why he was standing so close and why Shoto liked it so much and... They'd stopped dancing. Kotsky's eyes dropped to Shoto's lips and he... He licked his own. 
just a little. But it was enough that should have felt it in his knees. And Kotsky's eyes jumped back to Shoto's and he said quietly, What do you want, princess? What did he want? What did he want? What was... How was he even supposed to... Did it matter? At all? When had it ever? And... I don't know. He answered, still speaking too slowly, still unable to tear his eyes away from Kotsky's mouth, still hearing Danky echoing in his head when he'd... Kotsky's brows furrowed a little in a micro-expression, and he looked down again, down at their hips, still pressed flush together like they were still dancing, but they weren't, and really, Shoto should. Can I guess? Kotsky asked, lips turning up, sharp and amused and knowing, in a way that made Shoto want to. To what? I... Someone plowed full force into Kotsky's back, laughing uproariously, and Kotsky's hands on him was the only thing that kept Shoto from falling. They were both they, when they both turned and looked, Kirishima and Mina were laughing, having just lost control of a wild spinning dance and attempting to hold each other up. Kotsky looked at him and then back at Shoto and just smiled. The sight of it made Shoto's chest ache, put a strange lump in his throat, and he'd never been so thankful and so furious for an interruption before. He hadn't known what he was going to say, but it seemed like he'd been about to say something important. Without Kotsky's lips and eyes to focus on, Shoto realized everything was going a little bit blurry. Kotsky looked away from him, looked at Kiri and Mina, who were trying to pull both of them into another round of spinning, but he looked back sharply when Shoto tottered a little. Whoa there, princess. We gotta work on your liquor tolerance, don't we? Oh, I'm fine, Shoto said, waving his hand. Sure you are, (laughs) Koski snickered, and then his eyes fell somewhere to Shoto's right. Won't you go sit down for a few minutes, he teased gently. Shoto almost protested. But that actually sounded like a very good idea. When he turned to go, he found Dinky standing beside him. Come on, I'll get you some more water, Dinky told him, except his cheeks were very pink and he was slurring his words a little. Still, Shoto told, let himself be led away, back to their dinner table. What were you and Gotsky talking about? Dinky asked curiously. Shoto sat a little heavily and Dinky leaned into him and put his hands in Shoto's hair and actually it felt rather nice.
I don't really know, he answered truthfully. Dinky giggled at him. (laughs) You're soaked. Unfortunately, he was completely right. If you people drank normal alcohol, this wouldn't happen, Shoto complained. Who spikes honey and milk? Honestly. Dinky leaned forward, tilting a little too much, and tapped Shoto on the nose. Keeps you warm, Flatlander. So do tunics, Shoto countered with a slight slur. Dinky grinned at him, and Shoto went very still when he put a hand on Shoto's chest. But then no one would get to see. We'd be covered up all year, he said with a pout. This is so much better. Shoto looked down at Dinky's hand a little slowly, wondering why it was there and why he didn't mind more. Impractical, he murmured. He tried not to think too hard about the way he'd slid his arm around Dinky's slim waist. He was a small man, lithe and elegant, and something about the way Shoto could wrap his whole arm around Dinky's waist made him feel strong. Shoto liked that far more than he thought he had any right to. Sexy, Denki proclaimed, and then he, he stepped forward and lifted a leg over Shoto's knees so he was sitting in Shoto's lap, and Shoto found it happening again, found his mind going completely blank. Denki put both hands on Shoto's chest and said, You look so much better in our clothes than you did in your stupid Flatlander silk. His voice was low and breathy, and Shoto realized with a very traitorous twitch between his legs that he'd heard Denki sound like this before. Once before. When Kotsky had... He thought of Kotsky's tongue against his lips when he stared at Shoto's mouth and felt like he was going completely mad. He was staring at Dinky's mouth, too, without meaning to, hearing those sounds he'd made, the sounds Kotsky had dragged out of him, and the way it had made Shoto feel to hear that, how he'd, he'd almost... Shoto hadn't let him think about those sounds except in the space between wakefulness and sleeping when he couldn't hate himself for all the things he wanted and all the things he'd never have. And then Dinky slid a hand down lower, over Shoto's ribs, and Shoto didn't feel anything at all except for that. Ah. He began a little uncertainly, except it came out more, ah, because of the way he tilted his head back, and Dinky leveled a very amused look at him. 
You're too pretty to be laced up like that. I'm... Well, Dinky added, at least that kind of laced up. Shoto blinked dizzily, leaned back in his seat. What else kind of laced up is there? He heard himself mutter a little nonsensically because he should probably say something. Something to distract from the way he could fit both hands around Dinky's waist and his fingers almost touched. Dinky leaned forward, put all his weight on Shoto's thighs and said, The kind with no clothes at all. And that didn't make any sense until Shoto remembered Kotsky threatening to tie Dinky up. The sound he made when Kotsky said it. Those fucking sounds. Shoto opened his mouth to speak, and all that came out was a shiver. Dinky noticed. He smiled again, pointed and suggestive, but also good-natured. Amused. He moved his arms up around Shoto's neck, and Shoto could feel his fingers in his hair. Braids look so good on you, Prince. The expression that came over Shoto's face at that was one he was very certain he had never worn before in his life. Sharp and knowing, somehow. And before he could stop himself, he said, Where I come from, only whores wear braids. He actually saw Denki's throat bob, saw his pupils flare out like Shoto had shined a light in his eyes, and Shoto had the very strange and nonsensical thought that worked. Dinky crawled off of him very quickly and said, Come on. And Shoto had no idea what he was thinking, but he followed. Why on earth did he? The second they were back through the castle doors, Dinky shoved him into a wall. You should let us take care of you, Prince Shoto, he muttered. I... Uh, I'm... We'd be so good to you. And the rest of the world was cut off when he pulled Shoto down by his fur collar and pressed their mouths together. Shoto's heart was beating so fast. He had no idea what to do or how this had happened when he'd... Hadn't he just been talking to Kotsky? And now he was... This was... Close your eyes, stone brain. Dinky chastised with a laugh that Shoto found altogether too endearing, considering he'd been teasing. Shoto closed his eyes. This was... Oh, fuck. Dinky hissed, biting back another laugh. You really are terrible at this. Shoto pulled back a little and hissed. 
I, I don't. I mean, I, I've never... No, no, it's fine. It's cute. Fuck. You're so cute. Just do what I do. Look. He put his lips on Shoto's again. Shoto felt the tip of his tongue, and he... See? Better. Dinky breathed, and that completely innocuous word shouldn't have made Shoto feel like he'd been punched in the stomach. This was good. This was very good. Shoto could taste that spicy liquor on Denki's lips, and also something a little metallic. Static. Kotsky had called him that, hadn't he? Static. When he'd been. Denki made a sound that made Shoto's stomach turn over, and he really had no right sounding like that. Every time he opened his mouth, Shoto was forcibly reminded of Kotsky and Denki together and what they'd done, what Shoto had overheard, and it was altogether far too much. Except it also felt. It felt like Shoto didn't want to stop. Like maybe he should. Like maybe he should put a stop to this immediately, but every time he tried... Denki did something very interesting with his mouth, and Shoto couldn't bring himself to push him away. You're a fast learner, Denki breathed. I knew you would be. That left a very satisfied warmth curling in Shoto's belly, and he very reflexively put his arm around Denki's waist again, tightened it a bit. Denki's breath hitched, and Shoto realized he'd pulled him closer. He was so light. How had Shoto not noticed before? He swayed into Shoto then, pressing his chest into Shoto's, lulling back in Shoto's arms a little. He was shorter than Shoto, and he had to tilt his head all the way back to reach and that wonderful, addictive, powerful feeling came back, and Shoto found himself pushing forward just a little bit so he could feel Denki's back bow. When he did it, Denki moaned like he hadn't meant to, like it surprised him, and exactly like he'd sounded that day with Kotsky when Kotsky had wrapped his fucking lips around Denki's cock and licked and sucked and swallowed until Denki had been begging him and choking out praise and appreciation and Shoto had made him make that sound just for a second, just for a short, shocked little exhale and... Oh, fuck. No. We are not doing this. Denki shot away from Shoto at the exact moment that Shoto jerked back into the wall, cheeks red and stomach twisting like they'd been caught doing something they shouldn't have been. Mina grabbed Denki by the scruff of his neck and hauled him backwards. Are you out of your fucking mind? 
And she turned to Shoto. And you! Shoto blinked a little dizzily. Um, I... He was just... What? Dinky complained, pulling away. Look how pretty he looks! His chest was heaving, and his lips were all pink and wet, and he was staring at Shoto in the eye like he couldn't look away. Oh, good! You found him! Shoto's heart plummeted into his guts. Izuku smiled serenely at the three of them. Everything all right? Fine, Mina said, giving Dinky a very severe look. I was just... Dinky began, but then... Kotsky and Kiri both slid inside, too, and Shoto thought maybe melting into the wall would have been better. There you are, Kotsky said. Dinky, I told you to get him water. What are you doing? Prince Shoto is just going to bed, Mina said cheerfully, but very pointedly. Shoto looked at her. Right, Shoto? Uh, right, Shoto answered, looking around a little confused. He wasn't sure why it should be a secret that Dinky had been. But then he was also quite sure he didn't want to announce it to everyone. Dinky sighed, and then a little more petulantly, Yeah, bed. Koski looked at between the three of them, and Shoto saw his eyes narrow in suspicion. Bed. Shoto pushed himself off the wall and realized that was actually a fabulous idea. Then no one would be able to tell if the Mountain Milk decided to make another appearance. Shoto was suddenly not at all sure that it wouldn't. He put his hand on the wall to steady himself, and the whole group of them rushed forward, muttering to each other, talking about him and over him, and at the way and at the end of it, Kotsky had very grudgingly agreed that Izuku should walk Shoto back to his room. Dinky volunteered. But Mina pinched his arm and insisted she needed his help finding a potion she'd lost from her belt. It happened in a bit of a whirl, and Shoto couldn't quite follow the conversation. He knew Kotsky had been saying that he could help, but Izuku had pointed out that he shouldn't leave yet. He was the king, and once he left the party, it would end. So then it was just Izuku and Shoto, carefully making their way up the stairs. Izuku had his hand on Shoto's elbow, and once they were on the second floor and no one was around, Izuku said mildly, Dinky's face pain is on your chin. Shoto gave himself away when he gasped and jerked his hands up to scrub at his face. 
When he looked down at his fingertips, they were smudged yellow and black. Izuku said, That's a development. Stupid. Shoto slurred. It was all he could really say, aside from, Outland spirits are evil. Izuku laughed at him. Do you think Kotsuki saw? Shoto muttered. He felt, he felt guilty for some reason, which didn't make any sense. Dinky was allowed to kiss whoever he wanted, wasn't he? No, Izuku said cheerfully. I didn't notice until the light changed on the stairs. And anyway, he's just as loaded as you. I'm not. Yes, he was. Instead, he said, You dance good. Izuku laughed. You're not so bad yourself, Prince Yoto. I saw you cozying up with Kachan. We weren't cozying. Shoto muttered, and then because there was still that terrible nagging feeling in the back of his head, Shoto said, Would he be angry? Is that why Mina? Izuku frowned. Uh, that's a complicated question, your highness. He said, I'm not his property. Shoto protested a little obstinately. Said I can do whatever I want. And what if what you want hurts his feelings? Shoto drew up short and looked at Izuku in the face. Huh? (sighs) Well, Izuku said very carefully. Have, have you considered that maybe, maybe Kachan, maybe he'd be a little jealous of Dinky? Izuku trailed off like he didn't quite believe what he was saying. That doesn't make any sense. Shoto protested. I, what do you mean? Izuku bit his lip And then he took a very deep breath. Have you considered that maybe Kachan might want to kiss you? Shoto laughed, and the sound was cold and a little strained. (laughs) Don't be ridiculous. His heart had started racing again, pounding so hard it was making Shoto lightheaded. Izuku shrugged. I, and then he said, why would it be ridiculous? Shoto scowled and started walking again in a little ragged line. Kotsky, he's... Shoto paused and racked his brain and then realized the truth of it. He's got his family. So? Dinky's just a whore. 
Izuku laughed a little sharply at that. That's <laughs> true, actually, but I still don't see what that has to do with. Dinky just thinks I'm attractive. So? You think Gachan doesn't think you're attractive? Shoto groaned. No. I think he cares about more than that. Izuku narrowed his eyes. They had reached Shoto's door now. More than that. So, there's no reason for him to want to kiss me. That's ridiculous. Shoto fumbled with his doorknob, and Izuku said quietly, Wait, what are you saying? The door opened, and Shoto threw himself inside. He liked his room, his space. It felt good to be back, like he could be himself, like he could wipe off this ridiculous face paint and stop pretending he could ever really belong here. I'm saying Kotsky isn't. He's got his family, Shoto explained. And they're more to him than just pretty. Izuku's voice got impossibly lower. So, of course he's got no reason to want you. Since all you are is pretty. Exactly, Shoto said, slapping his hand against the door frame. Fucking shit, it's not that hard. He turned his back, made for the pitcher of water on his vanity, and added abstinently as the realization hit him. He's like you. Shoto had drained half his glass before he realized Izuku hadn't said anything back. He turned around and found him standing in the corridor, staring at Shoto with a very strange look on his face. Shoto held up his pitcher. Water? Izuku cursed very quietly and finally stepped into the room. Prince Shoto, you are a uniquely frustrating man. What did I do? Sit down, Hizuku mumbled. Let me get your face paint off. You'll stain your sheets, and it'll leave little spots on your face if you don't. Shoto fell back into his vanity chair obediently and let Izuku tend to him with a cloth wet from the water pitcher. He was wiping at the spot under Shoto's eye when he said, Do you really think so little of yourself? Shoto shrugged. How was he supposed to answer that question? Was he supposed to tell Izuku all the things that made him the man he was? That was a fool's errand. There was nothing worth telling and nothing worth protesting. 
When Shoto didn't answer, Izuku looked him in the eye. Shoto felt like he was melting a little, and before he could stop himself, he breathed. I'm sorry. What? Izuku said startled. Sorry for what? For... Um... Shoto slurred and peered down into his own lap then. For trying to... I shouldn't have. And then I was so... Embarrassed. Stop. Shoto's lips closed and he breathed out through his nose. The walls behind Izuku's head were twisting around him in little circles. Shoto needed to lie down. You have nothing to apologize for, Prince Shoto. It's not your fault, you... You wound up stuck in the middle of a tangle I made, Izuku said very fiercely. Shoto furrowed his brows. What? What are you... It's just... It's not your fault, Izuku mumbled, setting his rag down and standing up. He didn't say anything else just held out his hand to help Shoto out of his chair and down onto his bed. Can do it. Shoto slurred a little sleepily when Izuku sat at the foot of his bed and started unlacing his boots. Izuku ignored him. Shoto was asleep before Izuku tugged off the second boot. End of chapter.